Hello, my lovely Seems Like Diet Culture friends. Welcome or welcome back to the pod. If this is your first time here, I'm so happy to have you. This is the place where you get all your questions about nutrition, wellness, influencers, all the things answered. And I give you my educated opinion on these topics along with the experiences of you guys and science-backed information so that you can figure out how the heck you want this to look in your life because it is so confusing nowadays with trying to decide what the heck you want to do. Now, I know that the chronicles of my cat on this podcast seem to be never-ending. I don't know what it is about me going into the closet that just sets him off because, guys, pretty much all day, he sleeps in our dog's kennel. So not only does Milo, our dog, get annoyed because he wants to be in his kennel, he like adores the kennel. We don't shut him in, but when we are just like going throughout the workday or when I'm going on throughout the workday, he likes to sleep in there because he thinks it's really comfortable and he loves it. But now the cat has decided that he loves it and he fixates on it. But whenever I walk in to go into record, five seconds later, he's clawing at the door literally five seconds later, and he will not stop unless I get him to sleep out there. So now he's on my lap and he's been biting me every few seconds, but also will not get up. He doesn't even look comfortable. I mean, he's like in this little weird position, but whatever. I'm just letting him be. He has been pouring really loudly, but now he seems to be sleeping. So we'll see how long that lasts. I am going to try to keep this episode short and sweet and informational because this topic is one that I feel like comes up a lot in terms of recovery. And honestly, we've been talking about it a ton and Live Unrestricted the past few weeks. It's been coming up a lot. But it also really applies to anyone because I think every single one of us has felt like we were experiencing extreme hunger before. And I really think there's two separate sides of this scenario. The one side of how diet culture can make us view what we believe is extreme hunger. And then the actual experience of extreme hunger typically tied to some type of restriction. And it doesn't just have to be restriction in the sense of an ED. It can be in terms of a diet. It can be in terms of a reset. It can be mental. It can be physical. It can be emotional. There are so many different avenues that this can go in, and I want to do my best to really cover all of them today and open up a conversation. I'm also going to give tips on extreme hunger at the end, things that we use in my group program, Live Unrestricted, and also just things that I feel like help mentally while you're going through this process if it's something that you are experiencing. I will say as my very quick announcement that Live Unrestricted is in the countdown phase to when our next program starts. It is the last round of this year, 2022. And if you feel like you've just been struggling with your relationship with food and body and exercise and just feeling stuck, wanting to heal, but not knowing what steps to take, this is the program for you. I've never explained this before, so I thought I'd put it in really quickly, but when you apply, you don't have to join the program. We actually only accept certain people into the program that are the right fit, and we look over your application to ensure that, and then we also set up a free consult call with you after that to just make sure that, oh my gosh, Otis literally just got off my my lap and then went around to bite my head. Guys, he's so feisty. Back to what I was saying... 
We do that to ensure that it is 100% the right fit. Okay, now he's going out. Get out of here. Did you hear the door? I love that, like, ASMR, honestly, in a podcast when I do something and it just sounds like, oh, why is that so satisfying? <laughs> why do I do this stuff? This is exactly what you're not supposed to do in a podcast. Anyways, I'm done with my announcements now and we're going to get into the topic and go over extreme freaking hunger. Now, we always start here with defining the what the heck is this. And with extreme hunger, I do think that there are almost two definitions that we need to differentiate. Because number one, there is the experience that every single one of us has had. It's the, I feel like a bottomless pit. I've been eating everything today and nothing feels like enough. It's just that feeling where you are so much more hungry than you typically are. And that, in my opinion, is separate, although the feeling itself can be similar, from the actual scientific recovery, dieting, restricting version of extreme hunger. And that is what happens for some people, and we'll go over logistics of how many people a little bit later, but that's what happens when you go through long periods of time of restricting food in any way, for any reason, too. It doesn't just have to be the ones that I've named. So if we were going to simplify what this was, it's your body catching up from being underfed. And I want to point out that feeling underfed or being underfed can also be mental and emotional and I'll explain my ideology on this more a little later, but a lot of extreme hunger doesn't speak specifically to that because it's not as easy to scientifically prove it. And yet my theory and what I've seen is that all types of extreme hunger can be present and contribute to this feeling. So when it comes to the scientific reason why this happens, Physically, it is because when we start restricting food, for whatever reason, our bodies start pro producing more ghrelin. And ghrelin is our hunger hormone. We have leptin and ghrelin, which are both the hunger hormone. They're both the hormones that control our hunger and fullness. So this increases because your body is basically saying, hey, you know, I need some more food. I'm really hungry. Can you please eat? But over time, when you ignore that more and more and more, it just starts to build up. Simultaneously, your body and your brain may start to become disconnected. So your body is saying, hey, 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 I'm building up ghrelin. I'm trying to let you know I'm hungry. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. But your brain starts to overpower your body and it says, nah, I'm fine. And it doesn't even register those hunger cues anymore, which I'm sure many of you guys have experienced not having strong hunger and fullness cues. So then when we decide to embark on this journey of recovery, or even if we just realize I can't do this anymore, our body forces us to start this journey, the ghrelin that was building up kind of releases as somewhat of a floodgate. And don't necessarily get too caught up in the idea of like, what is this looking like in my body? And, and can I control this and all that stuff? Because realistically, we don't know exactly the way that it looks, but we know that there's a reaction of having even more of a surge of ghrelin when you start to embark on the journey of truly eating more and eating what you need. So when we take all of that into account, extreme hunger at its core 
happens because you are not addressing the need to restore your weight or to listen to your cravings and to reach that optimal place in your body, that set point. And it has a lot of damage to repair physically already on top of the energy deficits that you're having by not eating enough. And so all of these ecosystems are completely thrown off when we restrict and especially when we restrict over longer periods of time. So you may be wondering, okay, then what is it that is affecting my body? Like, why is it that I have this physical damage that needs to be solved? And why is it that I'm in such an energy deficit? Well, the energy deficit is what we create when we're restricting and not eating to the point that we need to. But the physical damage comes from all of the challenges that your body has to undergo in order to keep you functioning, living, and I don't know if thriving is the right word, I guess more functioning and living when it's not getting enough energy. So what it does in these experiences is it stops whatever biological functions it can to save energy. And it takes that energy that it needs away from bones, muscles, organs, nerves, anything that it can to keep you going. Because our body's main function is to survive. That is what it is built to do. That is what it will do at no cost or at any cost, not at no cost. And that's its focus. It doesn't know that you're dieting because you want to lose weight. It doesn't know the logistics of your ED and why it may be started. It just knows something's going on. I need to preserve my, I mean, I need to keep living. So when it comes to biological functions, we could go on a whole other topic about this, but I think this gets more into the realm of just the effects of restriction itself. But this can be messing with your hormones. This is obviously taking away your your muscle. This affects your gut health severely in so many ways that we could get into. But even just in the sense of breaking down the smooth muscle of your gut, which is why we have so many digestive issues when we restart this process. So there are so many different ways that this affects everything. But as I've gone through this, you may be thinking, okay, I kind of get it, but it's also a little bit confusing. And there are two different examples that I want to read to you that I think are really helpful. One of them I'm actually just going to read straight from the article itself. And as I said, I will link it below. But I really liked this analogy, and I always want to credit the people that come up with these, not try to act like I'm taking it for myself. So let's go down to read this. So here we go. When you restrict energy intake and or create energy deficits with exercise and exertion, then the body does two things in response to the vacuum you are creating stops whatever biological functions it can to save energy, and takes energy from fat, tissue, bones, muscles, organs, and nerves to fill the void. You essentially damage the power plant and steal raw materials as well. If you just replenish the raw materials, then that's not good enough because you also need to bring in additional materials and crews to repair the damage to the power plant. Otherwise, the raw materials still can't effectively be transformed into energy. And in the middle of this entire restoration project, the power plant still has to be up and running to some extent. 
This is why Extreme Hunger hits. Think of Extreme Hunger as hiring a crew of 25 guys to fix damaged equipment in the plant while the plant still provides the town with basic electricity needs. Think of denying Extreme Hunger as insisting that one guy can work on the damaged equipment while the plant still provides the town with the same basic electricity needs. That one guy bitterly complains each day that all he can manage to get done is fix the one faulty bolt on the equipment because while you continue to provide the town with electricity, that bolt keeps breaking and he can't get to all the other problems. Obviously, the providing the town with electricity is a non-negotiable. <clears throat> we can't take the town offline any more than we could you offline. I really like this analogy. And I know for some of you guys, you may be like me and I'm like, how the heck does a power plant work? But I just tried to simplify it in my brain and recognize what she was trying to say or who is the author actually? What they were trying to say just to be safe. And I think that that depicts it really well. You know, you can't stop providing electricity just like you can't stop living. And if we are only sending in that one troop to try to fix everything, it's not possible. We have to send in multiple troops even more than we typically would to actually do that. Another good analogy that is from Tab Tabitha Farrar is what if you owed someone $73 million and you decided to pay $1,000? Would you be surprised when the person was constantly asking you for more money? This is kind of the way this is kind of the way your body is working when it comes to extreme hunger. It has a major deficit of energy from however long you're restricted. So your body may be demanding way more calories than the average person for a while. And this analogy brings me into an analogy I really like to use in my programs, especially Live Unrestricted, which is when you're in recovery, something that can be really, really hard, or even when you're recovering from constant dieting, whatever it is that you're dealing with, it can be really hard to imagine why you have to eat and move and eat foods and whatever it is differently than the average quote-unquote person. But what I had to do was think about this point of time as an injury. And an injury can sound negative, so if you have a different way to visualize it, you can totally do that. But I just thought this was really easy for me to understand. If you are an athlete and you have a torn ACL, you are not going to be practicing like the other players. You're also going to have to do things that you're maybe not that excited to do. You have to eat more to keep up with the healing demands. You have to go to physical therapy. You have to do your stretches or whatever it is. I'm throwing out random things, but you have to do things that you may not enjoy. And also the way that you are operating is not going to look the same as your teammates anymore or as the quote unquote average person because you are not operating under average pretenses. Your whole goal is to get over this injury and you do anything that you can to get through it. That is very similar to recovery in general. And this really goes along with extreme hunger because extreme hunger can be incredibly uncomfortable, but it is also the means to the end in terms of getting the extreme hunger to go away. The exact struggle that you're dealing with is the exact key to how to get rid of it. And in the earlier phases of recovery, especially, this is the most challenging because you are going to experience significant sensory dissonance. And what I mean by that is 
your brain and your body are going to be telling you two different things. You're going to have physical fullness, more identified by your enteric nervous system, and you're also going to have an absence of satiety, which is experienced by your central nervous system. So in those moments, you actually feel physically full and physically hungry at the same time. It can be that I'm hungry, but I'm not hungry feeling. And what most people end up naming this is bored eating, emotional eating, binging, overeating, all of those type of things. But at the same time, when we really look at this whole process, are we actually bored eating? Are we actually binging? Are we actually overeating? Or are we having a very normal response to long long years or even months or weeks, whatever it is, to dieting, restricting, not actually giving our body what it's craving. And this can lead you to eating a lot more than you typically would. This can lead you to eating to a point where you don't feel comfortable. This can lead you to feeling really off, like you're eating way too much, like this couldn't be healthy, like you're going to just keep eating forever and get to this weight that is so horrible for you. But in reality, when we really put it into context, we can totally see how this is a very normal experience. And that's why those analogies are helpful to go back to. When you start to question yourself, think about the debt that you're owed. And I don't mean that in a depressing way, as in this needs to go on forever and ever and ever. But we do also need to be realistic and recovery and just the journey of this, it's it's hard but it's worth it because it will go away. And you may be wondering, okay, so does extreme hunger happen to everyone? Does it happen to a few people? When does it happen? And this is the thing, it is so different for everyone. It could be from the first day, it could be weeks or days in, it could be for different amounts of time depending on the person. It it could not happen. There are some few people that it doesn't happen to, but no matter what, I think the important thing to remember is that you can't control whether or not it happens. The only thing that you can do is listen to it. And the thing that I think a lot of people forget is, of course, there is our physical experience of extreme hunger. So everything I just explained to you can give you a clear idea of why extreme hunger happens physically, the science behind it. And you can kind of logistically reason with that. But there may be some of you sitting here that think to yourselves, honestly, I don't feel like I'm at a place in my body, even a weight that is quote unquote unhealthy. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that your idea of that is true, but sometimes it is, right? Sometimes you're actually at your set point, but you still feel like this. Or maybe you're experiencing the fact that you weren't actually restricting amounts of food, but you still are feeling like this, or you feel like you've gotten really far in recovery and this is still coming up. And it can be super confusing of, okay, why is this coming up? I'm trying to do everything right, but it's still not happening. Now, this is something I see often. And I do think the first thing that's really important to address is, you know, are there still areas where we're physically restricting, but not recognizing that? And that will trump everything else that I'm about to talk about. But do not feel lost or completely like 
you're not going to be able to get through this if you're experiencing this because this is where emotional and mental extreme hunger can tie in. So one of the most important pieces of my practice and what I recognize in my recovery journey was that there is motion, emotion, whoa, whoa, there is physical, mental, and emotional hunger. And you can restrict yourself in any of those ways. And you can also overcompensate on in any of those ways for whatever it is that you're dealing with. So let me give you an example of this. I was not a amount restrictor, restrictor that much in my ED. It was all about the quote-unquote health of the foods for me, and this is also what allowed me to be at a quote-unquote normal weight and all of that kind of stuff. But I still experienced extreme hunger. Now, why is that? Obviously, because there were times where I was physically restricting by thinking I had to hit a certain number or whatever it was, but more of it was because I had denied myself the things I was craving for so long. And so when I started to allow myself what I wanted, I wanted everything. I wanted all of it. And it felt like I had no control. And so in my mind, I said, oh, I'm totally binging. I'm out of control and I'm just never going to stop. But in reality, it was all of that time that my body was trying to make up for that mental restriction of telling myself I could only eat at certain times, I could only eat certain things, I could only eat certain foods, whatever it was, right? Now, the same thing can be true of emotional hunger. And this one's a little bit more nuanced and very complicated, but I do want to throw it out there because I have seen it happen. So a lot of the times we can use food as a coping mechanism and it can tie a lot to our emotional experiences. And so as we start to unveil the emotions that we were suppressing with food and with these rules, they can start to expose themselves. And when we're trying to feel those things, it can be extremely intense. And your desire for essentially these foods that were comfort mechanisms for you that originally started the problem can be so strong. So I'm trying to give an, a tangible example of this, but think about every single time when you were sad when you were younger, you went to food as your way to cope. And this was something that you developed. And because you developed this, it made you think, oh my gosh, like I am such a mess. I have to put all of these rules in place to stop myself from emotionally eating. When in reality, what we need to do is learn different coping mechanisms to help you to work through your emotions rather than just using food. So because now you've put all of these rules in place, once you start to strip away the rules you can start to feel like you have a really strong desire, especially as the emotions come up within the recovery space, to go back to utilizing that same coping mechanism that you were before because of all those years of suppressing it. Now, all of these things can go hand in hand. and In no way do you need to go through and start naming 
whether it's mental or emotional or physical. And I'm going to give you some tips for all of these things at the end, but I have often had clients come to me and feel incredibly, incredibly discouraged because they don't resonate with the typical extreme hunger mindset or the reasoning as to why they could be binging. And I often find it's because they're not learning about these other areas that could be contributing to it. Now, with all of this being said, you guys know just as well as I do, that the whole point of this podcast is to discuss the ties that these topics have to diet culture. And you may be wondering, okay, so how does something like this tie to diet culture? And I think it ties to it in both ways that we've mentioned within the normal quote-unquote day-to-day extreme hunger that any of us can imagine that we're experiencing, and then also in the recovery sense of extreme hunger. So I think where I see this the most with diet culture is that The people that enforce diet culture and the rhetoric out there does its best to convince us that we need the same amount of energy every single day. And you can see this over and over again with people that help with weight loss. They say, let me calculate your calorie needs and this is what you're supposed to eat and this is the deficit and blah, 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 blah. Calories in, calories out, the whole thing. And I have always thought this idea is so hilarious because... Yes, I learned about all this in school. I understand resting energy expenditure and how you add other parts to it based off activity factor. Trust me, I get it. I've done it a million times. But in actuality, trying to say that you need the exact same amount of energy in the form of fuel each day is like trying to say that you're going to feel the same emotionally and physically each day. I mean, how freaking great would that be if every single day we would know how we're going to feel waking up instead of one day you randomly wake up and feel like you got hit by a bus and the other day you wake up feeling like you could run 27 marathons and be fine. Obviously, I'm being dramatic, but I feel like we can all relate to that idea. And so something that I see happen is that even if we're not calculating our calories, we can get into this mindset of, okay, I pretty much eat around the same things every day, or I eat around the same amounts or whatever it is, and that shouldn't fluctuate. That should not change. Maybe you don't allow yourself to have an extra snack, or you don't think that if you're hungry after dinner, you should have something, or it feels weird to you if you just had breakfast and you need to eat again. And this is what ties back to the same idea, because a lot of the times I think when this happens, we think to ourselves, oh my gosh, I'm just so extremely hungry today. Like I just can't get full. When in reality, it's really not the case that that's so extreme. It's just that our body needs a different amount of food that day. This is why intuitive eating is super important because when we are intuitively eating, we are tying in or we're tapping in, I should say, to that day into what's going to make us feel best in the moment instead of relying on rules and numbers to tell us what we need. A really good example of this that I would like to use is for women on their period. When we are on our period, we need more food. And I oh my gosh, I'm going on a little bit of a tangent, but there is nothing that drives me more insane than the wellness warriors. And if you're new here, the wellness warriors is like the people like Mark Hyman and Max Lugavir and like the people online that I cannot stand because they just spread constant misinformation and act like they're saving the world through their incredibly strict rules that are ridiculous. But I digress. (laughs) Anyways, what is so crazy to me is how people will post stuff like, 
craving chocolate on your period, like try an iron supplement. It's not even, it's, that's not actually what it is, but, or, you know, wanting ice cream, like have, um, like a few nuts. <laughs> I'm not actually using the right terms and I get the concept. They're trying to say whatever nutrient is in that food, you can gather that from a different food. But I'm like, I literally do not care. If I want ice cream, I am going to have ice cream. I'm not going to eat some freaking nuts. Like, thank you very much. And a lot of the times they're literally talking about calcium and they'll be like, eat some kale. I'm like, what do you think makes me think and feel like ice cream and kale are the same freaking thing that are going to hit the craving? Literally me going to Dairy Queen last night. By the way, my favorite Blizzard combination, I have to say, is vanilla ice cream with Reese's and cookie dough. But last night I had Reese's and Butterfinger because I was really wanting that like kind of butterscotchy flavor and it hit the freaking spot. Um, I love me some DQ. I've been on a kick lately and I was worried having it because I worried. You guys ever have this where you have a food that is so much nostalgia attached to it and then you go through a period of time where you just like don't eat it as much because I like hyper fixate on certain foods and just, like, don't think about other ones as often. And Dairy Queen, I was craving it randomly one day, and Brian mentioned it, and I was like, oh my gosh, I need this food. And now, anyways, it, it lived up to the nostalgia. I went on a complete tangent. So let's reel it back in. Honestly, I feel like half of you guys would be listening to this and be like, oh, this is so fun. Like, I love when a guest goes on tangents. It feels like FaceTime. And the other half of you would be like, get to the freaking point. I'm so sick of this. So I'm sorry if you are the latter half. We're getting back into the topic. So regardless, what I was trying to say is on your period, you need more energy for very obvious reasons. And we can feel like it's unnormal for us to be hungrier during that time. But why would that be, you know, unnatural? This can also happen on rest days. People get really confused why they're hungrier. And that's just because your body could need more repair fuel in that time. It's just that our body isn't cause and effect. It's not that simple. And we see that in so many other ways of how we are just not simple beings. We are incredibly complex. And yet, when it comes to food and nutrition, we try to set these rules and act like everybody is the same. The other sense of diet culture tie-in is more in line with the whole recovery mindset and something I feel is super toxic that I see online, which is what I'm going to call a quote-unquote pretty recovery. And this is not a technical term. I literally just made this up on the spot. But what I see oftentimes is people acting like their recovery was just this kind of simple process of adding in some more foods or focusing on protein. And you especially see this with like the quote unquote fitness recoverers where they're working out at the same time and they healed their body image by getting strong. Spoiler alert, that does not work. And it also doesn't work with food. Now, of course, I am not minimizing the fact that there are people that don't experience extreme hunger. But what I'm often seeing going on in these scenarios is that people are still restricting and they're convincing themselves that what they need to solve is the fact that they are quote unquote binging. And they think, oh, I should be able to eat normally. I should be able to intuitive eat even. But that just could not be further from the truth in this standpoint because back to the injury analogy, back to the debt analogy, we need to spend more time making up for that gap. 
And yet I think diet culture comes in because yes, diet culture is even in the recovery community. I have an episode on this and it can make us feel badly for the fact that we're experiencing this when other people we see don't experience it. And of course, this goes to comparison on following people that don't make you feel good and even just being aware of where you're at on the journey. But I do feel like diet culture can come in in that way. Plus, we often see people are still consuming normal, quote-unquote, diet culture rhetoric on top of this diet culture recovery rhetoric. And you gotta be careful, guys. There's recovery accounts that are great, and there's ones that are not great. And there are ones that are great, but they're still triggering to you. And that could even be a freaking my account, maybe. And if my account was triggering to you, I would hope you would unfollow. Even if you thought I was the coolest person alive, it is about what feels good to you. Now, this went on for longer than I expected. What how could we ever guess that would happen? It's not like I do that all the time. But I still want to give you guys some tips. And I do want to keep in I do want you to keep in mind that to work through extreme hunger, it takes a lot of mental resilience almost Every single time, I would say 99.9% of the time, you are going to run into gut health challenges. Actually, an article that I'm going to be linking explains this in it, so you can look a little bit more into that if you're curious as to why. And so you really have to be steadfast in this reminder that the way out of what you're experiencing is the opposite of the way you got into it. You have to fully listen to those hunger cues. And if you don't have hunger cues, you have to eat even when you're not hungry. And when you don't feel like you're hungry to the extent that is the amount of food that you need to eat, you have to push yourself into discomfort. It, it's, it can be tough. And so that's why I always suggest if you are able to, to work with someone. And that's exactly what we do in Live Unrestricted is we give you the specific goals that you need to do in order to work through this and in order to weather the challenges that can come up along the way mentally and physically. So what does that look like in terms of physical restriction? How are we going to solve that when we're dealing with extreme hunger? So when it comes to that extreme hunger that you actually start to feel it's just listening without judgment. It's tuning out the diet culture part of it that tells you shouldn't be having it. It's stopping the convincing yourself of this is a binge. It's telling yourself that it's not emotional eating. It's reminding yourself of those analogies. And it's using every tool you can in your tool book to make sure that you actually eat the amount that you need. There is no specific science to it because there is no specific formula that works the same for everybody because your needs are going to be completely unique. The amount of time you experience it is going to be completely unique. And the worst thing that you can do is fall back into restriction in order to prevent this from moving forward. Now, when it comes to mental restriction, this does go along with physical restriction, but there is a very important nuance that we need to mention. So I'm going to use the example of someone that's recovering for, from orthorexia, which is what I had. So in the beginning of my recovery journey, like the very, very beginning, I was trying to continue to, so I was trying to eat more because towards the end, I kind of did go into more restriction than what I had in the beginning, right? So I, I was not physically eating enough, 
So when I started, I was trying to eat more. And yet at the same time, I was still only allowing myself to eat the certain foods that I was comfortable with, other than maybe like a rare occasion that was most of the time planned to have a quote unquote bad food. And so I was not addressing the extreme hunger that was coming from that mental restriction. So in order to change that, I had to eat the foods I actually wanted at the times when I was hungry. And it can take time to actually develop those specific cravings, but also the way that you get those cravings is by adding in foods. And this is also the way that you heal your gut health over time. Diversifying the foods that you're eating is super, super important. So if I just ate lunch and I want a cookie afterwards that I'm seeing, or I really want to, uh, I don't know, whatever it is, doesn't have to be something specific that, well, it is something specific, but it doesn't need to mean that you need a dessert afterwards or you need this or that. It's just whatever craving it is for you, you have to honor that craving and you can't go have celery and hummus instead. That is not going to prevent the extreme hunger that comes mentally. And I promise you, It will only elongate the process if you ignore the mental piece, because what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to work through the physical piece. And then once you finally get there, then you're going to have to work through the mental piece. So I would rather just do them freaking hand in hand. You know what I mean? Like I did it the wrong way per usual. Last thing is emotional. And this has actually less to do with what you eat and more to do with how you handle what you're experiencing. Keep in mind with emotional patterns and coping mechanisms, we have built up a continual response over a lot of time. And sometimes these can even be tied to trauma too. So do keep that in mind. I would suggest when you feel like this is really tied to trauma for you, utilizing a therapist, even an EMDR therapist can be really, really helpful and important to make sure we can separate some of the pieces that are more like that from the more physical pieces of what we need to do. But a lot of it is trying to rewire our overall response in the moment. So an example of this could be that I had a client that was physically eating enough, mentally was fulfilling her cravings, but still was getting stuck in the binge pattern. And for her, it was because of the fact that that pattern was during a super traumatic time for her. And she just kept going back to that because it was almost like it was stuck. Like it was like a DVD, if you're old like me, that just kept glitching and glitching and glitching. And we had to implement actual changes to the way that she was dealing with stress throughout her day while also implementing the therapy and support that she needed to get through that traumatic experience. So for example, what would often happen is she would go throughout her whole day, she would ignore her emotions, she would just do, 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 do. And then at the end of the night, she was like, oh my gosh, okay, I need this release. And this is what she was doing during that period of her life that was really challenging. And that release for her, that serotonin, that satisfaction, that stress relief, everything was tied to that binge or tied to that overeating session. So not only did we need to take time throughout the day to help her to address those emotions that she was experiencing and take moments for de-stressing and take moments for checking in with her hunger and fullness cues so that we didn't draw into physical restriction. We also worked through that larger period of her life, um, well, of course, with the team to 
get her to a better place. So I know that one is a little bit more convoluted and confusing and it can be kind of complex. I would always tell you to err on the side of physical and mental restriction, like targeting those first because it's a lot more clear cut. And then if there is still something coming up and you are really confident and ideally the dietitian or the person you're working with is really confident you're no longer doing those things, that's when this last emotional step can come in. But I have to mention it because I don't want you to feel discouraged if you are dealing with this or if you feel like you've gotten everything figured out, but it's still coming up. Woo! Gosh, I love episodes like this. I just get so freaking fired up talking about these things. Like, sometimes I just feel so, well, not sometimes, all the time, but there are certain moments where I just am hit with such an immense gratitude for the fact that I get to do a job that I'm just so passionate about and love so much. And I love talking about diet culture in every sense, but obviously my recovery like recovery is like my bread and butter. It's what I help people to do and healing from disordered eating and dieting. So when I get going, I just get going. And that is so much so how I am and live unrestricted too. And I just keep, keep going along, but I get to chat with all of you guys and it's a whole community. So everyone's talking about it together. Ugh, it's the best. All right. I'm obviously very chatty today. And I think I mentioned live unrestricted a hundred times. So I don't mean to be annoying with that. I just... I can't help it because it's exactly what helped me through this process, what helped so many women through this process. And regardless, I just want you to know that getting help will make such a difference in this process, whether my program resonates with you or someone else. Please don't let yourself keep struggling and falling backwards. It's so worth it to invest if you can. And at the least... I do have a free challenge that is three days to food freedom and loving your body more that talks about goal setting around this type of stuff. So I can link that below as well. All right, guys, I loved getting to chat with you today. You guys know the typical typical spiel, but I would appreciate so greatly if you left a review on Spotify or on Apple podcast. It means so much to me. And this podcast is a passion project of mine. I love getting to do it. But whenever I hear your feedback, it makes it even easier to create episodes that you guys really want to see because I don't have to make them about anything specific. I don't have anybody that I'm working for. I just do it on my freaking own. All right, I'm being weird. This is enough for me. So I'll see you guys next week.